Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. <laughs> Never right, we're ready. Never ready? All right. Ever ready. Uh, we, we are on. We're doing this. I'm going to do it today because I've been kicking it to you two, I think, the last couple of times, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, I would like very much to thank the people who listen to our show. I think it's amazing. Uh, as Jim pointed out last episode, our listenership basically doubles each month, which is something we could not have foreseen. Um, but we're, we're appreciative of it. Like, we'll take it. And uh it means that uh, something about our message is is resonating with people, and I my hope, my sincere hope, is that that is uh, that we are having honest conversations with people and getting to know people, and through that, you're getting to know them as well. So, thank you very much for listening. Um, in, in an effort to help us with what we're doing, if you would go ahead and share. Are an episode that you like on your social media mm-hmm. um, you know you don't have to like you don't have to go way out there you don't have to put yourself out there too far but it honestly does help us if you subscribe to the show if you leave some feedback a, somewhere a rating, yeah. and mm-hmm. leave a rating these are the things that uh, the metrics by which shows like ours are gauged and so can get seen by others yeah it helps too. us get out there. Yep. So we very much appreciate it. Thank One you other for thing we yeah. should say, because I don't think we've said it, info at LegacyMattersPodcast.com. Oh. If you want to contact myself, Jim or Sam with feedback, whatever, we'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to do that. That brings up another point. What? Uh, if, if our guests would like to suggest to us that someone who might be a good guest on the show or if our listeners Mm -hmm. i should say would like Mm -hmm. to suggest a guest that they'd maybe like to hear from Mm -hmm. that is where you do that exactly info at at legacymatterspodcast.com yep that's the one feel free that would be good old email yeah standard well you can you can hit hit us on whatever sure the twits and the facebooks (laughs) (laughs) okay That was all oh, pro. We, that yeah. was <laughs> all pro. Yeah, we got it. We're really doing it. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have a guest in studio today. We do. Yeah. We have a special guest all the way from Austin, Texas. Ooh. You may be our most far-reaching or far. Uh, California. Uh, Did you travel all okay. the way up here? We had. Edith he Garcia. Did. Oh, that's right. Oh, she. I mean, she nailed it. First show. She sure did. First show. She became our furthest. Yeah. A field right. guest. Well, and John Charles. Oh, well, that's right, John Charles. I mean, I mean, straight out of still, France, he, Carl. Just, I guess it, I guess, <laughs> you, right. I guess you really aren't that <laughs> right. special. Honest. Well, took away your he left the Texas heat to come up here. So we have Doctor right. Carl Troval, who is the Richard J. Dinda Professor of Lutheran Identity and Mission at Concordia Concordia University in Texas, and you're also Professor of Ethics and History, mm-hmm. Political Philosophy. Political philo- I teach political philosophy. Wow. Yeah. That's what I want to talk to welcome, you about. Welcome, Carl. Thanks. Nice welcome, to be here. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Carl. Oh, thanks I'm for, happy. yeah, coming in. Appreciate the invitation. Your, your roots are Minnesotan. Though. They are. Yeah. yeah. So nice. are you from here? I'm from a little town called Clearwater, uh, which is on 
I-94 between the cities in Moorhead. And uh, I think a lot of people cross on 24 to get to Highway 10 to Mm -hmm. go up to their cabins. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where I was born and raised. And then I went to Concordia here in St. Paul and got my undergrad, met my wife, Carol, there. And then uh, I knew enough Spanish to be dangerous. So when I went to the seminary, I ended up getting placed on the border in Texas. Okay. Okay. Working in Spanish and English. And what was your undergrad degree in? Undergrad was uh, behavioral sciences. Behavioral sciences. Yeah. And then also uh, Greek and Hebrew. I had a minor in Greek and Hebrew. Okay. Well. Oh, man. He may be the smartest person yeah. we've had Doubt it. Here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, okay, so that's what your degree is in, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And then what happens with that degree? Like, what, you know, how does that transform? Well, uh, just a little bit. I really wanted to go into politics, and that was kind of my idea in high school, possibly law, that kind of thing. But I realized that I'm a very non-conflictual person. I'm a mm-hmm. good passive-aggressive uh, Minnesota nice yep. person. Oh, yeah. yep. I realized law was definitely not what I want to do. But I was always interested in uh, in in ministry and uh, got the sense of vocation to be a pastor, Lutheran pastor. Okay. And went to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And it's there that I was very interested in in. Here's the strange thing. I thought being a pastor was going to make my life very narrow, and it opened me up to the possibility of military chaplaincy, traveling anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. learning other languages, other cultures. Uh, it opened up higher ed for me. I mean, the reason I'm in higher ed is because of my clergy past. So it, it was a, it was an interesting – you can't really predict the path you're going to take, mm-hmm. but what right. I thought was going to be something narrow ended up really blowing my world up, and it was yeah. awesome. So I grew up – uh, and I think this is common in kind of rural Minnesota, but Elk River, I was Lutheran. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I, I spent as much time in the Catholic Church as I did the Lutheran Church because my, my folks kind of had this, after their divorce, this argument whether I was actually Catholic or Lutheran. Uh-huh. But I, I considered myself Lutheran. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, Lutheranism is, you know, I mean, I, people know of it, but uh, I found it to be super open. Like mm-hmm. I, I know I didn't stick with religion, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't stick with religion because my my pastor told me I didn't have to. That right. it, it was okay. God wouldn't judge me mm-hmm. for right. not understanding whether God was a thing or not. Yeah, but uh, it. I think that's really cool that you got. I I would have assumed getting into the clergy would have meant, or you know, is it, is it clergy? Yeah, clergy. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Um, would have been super narrowing too, mm-hmm. but I understand within the Lutheran religion that it it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be. Uh, I think what people misunderstand about religion is that almost all traditions, in almost every religion, there are parts of that religion that are deep and open, and there are parts that are are narrow and closed, and then there are parts that are transformative, and then there are parts of every religion that can be... Uh, quite evil and dark yeah. Mm-hmm. even yeah so yeah. a lot of times one even has to stick to your own tradition and find that place in your own tradition um, I, I'm I'm totally convinced that people need to go deep into their own tradition before they decide to change although many I'm probably a little different for me the ideas me- meant a lot I wanted to believe what I went into rather than just going for the social social aspect or that this has the best kind of community I want to be a part of 
So that was always very important to me, and uh, I guess I was a little strange that was probably went into philosophy because to me all those ideas mattered whether God was real, whether the world was real, whether and uh, the older I get, it's just like it's one big question mark. No one really knows. Oh. Damn and it. I think the people that I thought say, you were going to say that you've got to figure it out. <laughs> no, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. I was yeah, like, yeah, holy yeah. shit, this, this is, is, is going to answer all my questions right here. <laughs> Carl, you're, you're like, I'm like, oh, I got some questions. And, I was going to say, this nothing. is why he's yeah, so like, smart. I, I, because here's the thing is that you can conceive of a world without a God and make it make sense. And there's still mystery in it. Mm-hmm. And you can have a world with God and it doesn't make sense and there's mm-hmm. still mystery in it. Mm-hmm. And I realized early on, and I don't, we don't have to go down this path but in my own spiritual journey, <laughs> I decided in, in middle school that uh, I, th- I didn't think that there was a God, so I was going to be an atheist. So I committed myself to not believing in a God. Uh, and I realized all I did was I just had the same doubts except they were inverse. It's like I would wake up and go, oh my God, there might be a God. No, there's no God. Well, there might be. And I realized I can't escape it. Because if I believe there's a God, I'll doubt that there isn't. And if I don't believe there's a God, I'll doubt that there is. And you can't escape doubt and you can't escape faith. And you just need to kind of embrace what feels natural to you and logical and sensible and uh, transformative. Find that it's transformative and move in that direction. God, you, you are absolutely speaking my language. I, I have always believed that, that uh, Faith and lack of faith are just two sides of the same coin. Yeah, it, they don't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because you can't prove nor disprove either of them. So it, it's just not for us to know. Yeah, and if it's not for us to know, you you can you can be uh, non-religious and be as spiritual spiritual mm-hmm. as anyone there is who claims to be religious. Yeah. Like it, it or the, even more so. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. The, like yeah. the words. The words get in in the way of the reality of yeah. it, and yeah. and it's all out there. And we talk a lot about spirituality. We we very rarely do it in the context of religious spirituality, sure. here, but just sort of a mystical spirituality. Sure, we talk about that a lot on on here. So. Yeah, and I think the older I get, the more I for me spirituality is having a sense of awe and connectedness to everything around you. To uh, to look at uh, the beauty of a tree, mm-hmm. and then to go into and to realize that you stand in total humility of this mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. thing that you have the capability of destroying, mm-hmm. but it it still offers you something, and you can study it infinitely and never get to the bottom of it. And that's just a tree or a leaf, right? Mm-hmm. And then you think about another human being, mm-hmm. and just to me, the dignity of the other person and how deep that goes, and how casually we treat even sometimes our closest family members and friends with such a disregard or disrespect uh, it and that there's the mystery of what it is to be human too that we are sometimes so deeply flawed and fallen and yet then we have the capabilities of great art and uh, great service and self-sacrifice so you're you're having these thoughts of in high school middle uh-huh. school and you're trying to figure out like what is my path you yeah. know i so as an artist i think you know, I had, oh, I still do it, all of the things you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Every day, some some days I wake up one way, some days I wake up the other <laughs> right, day. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but then that kind of comes through in uh, art for me, you know, mm-hmm. which is sort of the idea of a void, you know, and sort of, you know, looking at monochromatic paintings and just being able to let your mind wander into yeah. those. Um, so it's interesting to me, you know, that, you know, yeah, you're having these thoughts and at, at an early age, and how do you... How do you kind of take that and create your path forward? 
you know, so that you can kind of start to um, understand or find out some of the answers to those questions. I, I, I that's probably where religion. Yeah. I mean, you know, where a certain community of faith gave me a, a sense of being being able to ask philosophical questions, because obviously in the Christian tradition, I mean, one of the kind of fundamental ideas is that that God is fundamentally creative. In fact, that's the mark of what it is to be divine. And so even as you create art and other people create art, that's really a kind of a divine act. Mm-hmm. You're recreating, but creating uh, and I get what all I'm saying is that I think that the faith community I had one that was perhaps insular but it nevertheless was very supportive allowed me to ask questions mm-hmm. I had my mom in particular was one who was very open to asking even the most challenging questions and she took them with grace and it was never dogmatic or uh, or or rule oriented you know it, about it wasn't about obedience it was about mm-hmm. experiencing God's grace so this gave me a sense of tremendous expansiveness about religion. I didn't have a lot of negative experiences like mm. other people. I mean, you always have negative experiences with everything, bars or religion. I mean, you know. Sure. But, yeah. uh, I think what you're what Jim was describing, which is interesting, there's this common thread between the both of you. So it's art and religion, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's missing in society that we don't make that. Yeah. Recognize that connecting thread that it doesn't matter if you're religious, non-religious. There's a fundamental kind of interest and shared um, sense of wonder that we share as human beings yeah. and it's not discussed yeah yeah because it's, it's yeah. not a sensational it's a piece of news or you know we're not kind of taught how to harness that internal kind of wonderment and awe within mm-hmm. ourselves i would agree mm-hmm. yeah completely. i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a slightly more optimistic kind of uh oh i think we I, I'm not making a, a blanket statement for everybody. I <laughs> yeah. don't mean to say that at all. No, I know. Because we, uh, what I found very gratifying about you know working with Sam and Jim and now all the guests that have been coming into us, we're discovering. Wait, we're not alone. There are other people. So you just have to make yourself a little bit vulnerable and put yourself out there and start talking about this stuff, and you're going to discover that there is a like-minded community out there. Yeah, and and my sense of things. Lately, and I, I don't know what you would think about this, but I, I see like a country in turmoil, some a ton of divisiveness. I see a world that is sort of following that path too, and these kind of looming larger potential monsters of you know global warming and all the rest of the things that people seem to just have fear of, and yeah. and we're. And that's, I think, driving it. But what I, what I go back to, if you, take, if you take the macro view and you kind of look at the world as a whole and you say, man, can we ever get it together and just be kind to one another and, and find the, our, our shared humanity and, and look for the decency in all of it? I think you can, you can pull the lens back a little bit and look at like just at a family level or even, a, let's say, a community level. Um, a community that's that's maybe been uh, in kind of stasis for a length of time, and everyone's kind of, you know, the, the crops have been good, and the and times are good. That tends to to breed, uh, I won't say divisiveness, but more uh, more insular thought or something. And but the minute the tornado hits everybody forgets all of that stuff and they band together and they help each other. Mm -hmm. And I feel like on the larger scale, 
it it almost takes that with humans on a global level too to in order for us to get pushed past all of this i feel like we may thrust ourselves into tragedy yeah to find the the better sides of ourselves which is sad to me yeah it is sad yeah but it's it's nevertheless yeah it has a deep sense of yeah do you understand that that thought i mean i yeah it sort of crushes me to to look at at humans and think like why why are we gonna why are some of us gonna kill some of the other ones when we don't really have to you know well we haven't learned right it's kind of the same as you know history major it's the same cycle of behavior over and over Seems like it. Yeah, I get a little misty thinking about it just because I, I don't want us to do it. Yeah, no, I don't. But uh, humans, I don't think that human nature has changed. It really doesn't shift a whole lot. And so that's why we, I don't know why we'd be surprised that it changes. I always think that perhaps we have a, a, a kind of arrogant sense that we're different than other periods of history. And yet history will, ju- as harshly as we've judged our past, people will judge us. Sure. And so, but I mean, uh, incremental shifts yeah. in in different directions yeah. i would say yeah. like I, I do feel like on balance we're and i think the statistics bear this out this is a, a safer time to live and a sure a, well, you know for sure stephen pink pinker's uh he has a book that specifically talks about how much we've improved over time how fewer people die in war and disease and death and famine and yep. as deeply dark and troubling as some areas of the world is this is it's a great book because it makes you realize oh yeah in the grand scheme there seems to be some movement forward i mean we've got some pretty huge challenges ahead of us yeah i mean i it uh progress is progress like we even though it's slow and incremental and it kind of painful to watch it and you want you wish you could jump a few steps and see the see when we do better but yeah it's i still feel like we're progressing yeah you know slowly part of that is um reflection and a person's ability like what you just said to think back and say people did have it a lot worse than i do now Mm -hmm. and stop complaining about the little things like the materialism and the physical things that they feel like they don't have or the success or the money that they feel like they're they're owed and realize wait a second i do have a lot of well opportunity i do have some sort of safety again we're not perfect but it's just that sense of reflection yeah i and to add to that and you mentioned the tragedy i think the other piece tragedy forces into uh being grateful for what we have mm-hmm. or maybe had i i'm it's always when i'm sick when i'm so appreciative of my health right. and how come right. i don't every day get up and go wow it's so incredible to be healthy that i'm breathing or that i i'm i'm alive and that's why i think gratitude is such a profound spiritual practice for every human being on the mm-hmm. planet mm-hmm. because when we focus on gratitude it it puts us in a mindset of being able to be receptive and to have a sense again of awe and appreciation um so, and I mean, think this is, you mentioned art earlier. I think this is part of yeah. the purpose of art is to draw people in, to help them deep, have deep reflection about, about their life, about meaning, about gratitude, all of that. Yeah. It gives you a place to actually, it's interesting because I think of it as, you know, a place to focus mm-hmm. and then to be able to like look inwards, you know? Yeah. And that's sort of that. And, and, and there's moments, you know, when I wake up or some sometimes and i am like oh i can't believe i'm breathing 
you know, I can't believe I'm alive today. <laughs> of course you yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. of course I, I do. Her. Yeah, I see him I laughing because, well, because he's thinking of something very funny. Like, well, well, you could have seen Jim last night. It, I can't believe he's alive. <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't thinking that, but now I am. That's funny. Uh, yeah, you can't, you can't kill a, a little baby rhino. <laughs> but no. No, uh, a big Big rhino. Well, yeah, a big rhino. Right. Um, the, uh, okay, uh, you know. Art. This is, and you were the dean of uh, arts and sciences, yeah, arts. which included the fine arts, the humanities, and then the sciences. And you're still you're still working with uh, youth. I mean, this yeah. is a, this is yeah. a college. These yeah. are college age people, right? They are uh, some non traditional students, I assume. Yes, non traditional students also. Are, yeah, yeah. Um, earlier, Jim was talking. I this. Well, because of Jim's presence, I know, I know you don't. <laughs> I'm nervous. But because of your presence. Uh, I have been able to be around art I would have never otherwise been around. And it's mm. been, I, I didn't realize how much I love that. So mm-hmm. uh, through Jim's, you know, connections, we've had Scott Strebel in here. We've had Glenn Graffelman, Chris Atkins. You know, I, I'm going to forget people, but we've That's had okay. some great yeah. artists. Yep. And every time I look at, their work and and I see Jim's work all the time and I have his paintings at home and you know I love it but he was out in Minnetonka supporting another artist who is going to be on the show that's correct Uh, who is that R.J. Kern R.J. Kern Mm -hmm. and and uh, Jim was uh, is sort of lamenting in a way the fact that uh, he hasn't had art out recently so like if he doesn't put art out it, it kind of People don't approach Jim as the artist uh, and say, oh, I, you know, your new work came or whatever. But at the same time, they were all thrilled about this podcast that we're doing, which is a different expression of your artistic it self. Is. It, it is. is. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you are constantly forcing me down a more artistic path, and I just I, appreciate I, that. Yeah. And you get to, Carl, you get to work with people and give them a place to go down those paths or to explore their their thoughts on those things yeah and that's i mean that's got to be very fulfilling uh, it yeah, is i was re- going to say it's mm-hmm. going to be yeah fulfilling rewarding I very mean, rewarding yeah i love higher ed i love being in higher ed i love the opportunity to um to just for because there's so much curiosity out there mm-hmm. so it's fun to respond to the questions and ask questions alongside students uh rather than being the uh I mean, there's the old, the old phrase, the sage on the stage. Rather than being a sage on the stage, it's to be kind of the, the coach that helps people along asking the questions. Right. And uh, that's what I love uh, teaching. I mean, I've, I was in administration. I went back to teaching because really my first love is, is teaching, I've found. I discovered that later in life, but I'm happy I did. And a lot of it is exactly that. Yeah. that you have people who... Um, they sometimes they just need permission to follow a path. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. one young woman coming into my, my office when I was dean, and uh, her parents wanted her to be, I believe it was, a nurse, and she just couldn't do it. And she, I said, "You don't have to be a nurse. There could be a lot of other supportive ways that you could help people. If that's what, if you, if what you want is to help people, 
then there are a lot of ways to do that. And uh, she came back and was, she said, thank you for saying that. And hmm. it was just life transforming. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm always surprised, like, you didn't think that you could choose that? Like, I, and right. I, then I'm thinking, well, huh, an 18-year-old made all my major life decisions. <laughs> right. And uh, it's amazing, you know, how we can get ourselves so locked into thinking in a particular way. And we need other people help us break out of that thinking mm-hmm. and realize mm-hmm. something. And on the plane, right up here, we met... Uh, artist from Austin she she makes mm-hmm. jewelry she didn't go into art because she said you know her parents um, she didn't feel they were going to be supportive mm-hmm. of it and she finally she went into something else almost to please her parents and she had gone done some grad work in the area of education and she ended up realizing midlife here that I really wanted to be an artist and so she's just been self-educating and doing everything on her own. But I'm thinking, oh, it kind of—it's like it's beautiful that she found it. And then I'm thinking, how many people are out there who so have many. so much to offer, but so many—they oh. self-censor, right? They don't trust they their feel, instinct they don't or their gut, that. exactly. Or I mean, society—they feel like society is pressuring them to be something, and right? Well, and we've had a lot of artists on here, music artists, mm-hmm. you know, we, who. And, who, you know, it's, you know, when you talk about art and trusting your gut and instinct, you know, you go outside the barriers, you know, of, mm-hmm. of you know, a, a steady life. paycheck, uh-huh. health right. insurance, all these things, yeah. you know, which, yeah. which makes it very difficult to, sure. to, to live. But a, but a common theme yep. amongst all of these, folks. all of the artists, yeah. music, painting, photography, yep. writing, the artists that we've had on a common theme is they can't make money at it. Yeah. So there is the other side of it, which is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we don't have to be one thing or the other. Maybe you can, you know, have a job yeah. that where you earn the money necessary right, to, live, to live, right? And then also just pursue your artistic yeah. side as well in, yeah. in whatever way you possibly can. Yeah. Because I don't know. I see. I've. I've Realize the benefit of it. Jim and all of yeah. his buddies have helped me. <laughs> well, I mean, Jim, I, just talking to you, it, your kind of way of framing things in your perspective, you just kind of come up with things. I'm like, wow, I didn't think of it that way. Right. Very I know, visual, it's like, and it's it's very fun. You know, everyone that's met you. I mean, I just I've known you for a year and a half, and when we first met, I was like, yeah, this is a fun guy, and like Maggie loves you, and everyone's just like, wow, what a nice. It's not only just nice, but you're just so interesting right. to talk to. Well, this yeah. I, I, I he don't doesn't know about like all praise. That, <laughs> he doesn't like <laughs> well, praise. I can see him being I, very you, I think what you're right touching on that I find to be really powerful <laughs> is mm-hmm. that. To me, anyone, whether you're a novelist or whether you're a musician or whether you're a physical artist, whatever, the goal is you expand what it is to be human and you help right. people see things that mm-hmm. are new, that are, and I mean, there's studies out that real studies, not just like people's ideas that by, for example, reading novels, people, you can train people to be empathetic just by reading novels. Hmm. Just by trying to get into another reality makes you a larger human being, which then also has been shown to be connected to fundamental happiness. Right. So That's um, empathy is such oh. a massive, I mean, it's just so incredibly important. Yeah. And, and empathetic thought requires you putting yourself into the mind of someone else, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. why, yep. you yep. know, which is why novels, especially 
someone takes the time to sit down and write 300 pages of yeah. of thought on on what it is to be someone they're not yeah and then you read that and you get something from it and, and you're transported into yeah. a I mean, whole that is new world just fantastic stuff. well see now in physical art i was thinking this is why okay you look at art and you go i don't get that and you can just say well that's so stupid right or you can go like how do i enter into the reality of what's going on here of what it's it just as expansive, and it's just that's one of the most exciting, thrilling human things. To, that's it why is. we're here. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the problem with the, the whole like, like that's so stupid part of art is like so at the upper levels, artists have made uh, themselves so unapproachable. If you go to like the, the big galleries and you can't even walk in because you're, you know, you're just not cool <laughs> enough to be there, and you know that. Like, so I mean having more art more accessible in more ways like even our uh our friend chris atkins doing this barn yeah. quilt thing like great just finding the great artistry series. in every in in rural craft well, he's in, looking at he's looking at folk art i mean he's driving around yeah. the country and looking at things that are not necessarily uh you know the people didn't go to art school to make right. them it's fo- it's just art and, and they're and it's a way of communicating that's what art is i mean mm-hmm. that's a it's a language all on its own you know and sometimes you don't it's not about what it is it's about what you feel right mm-hmm. you know and and then another thing i was thinking about with uh dan israel who came oh, i was in, gonna say the, the mia the, too i mean going oh, yeah. to that going to we had jill Yo. alberg yo in here yeah um and she curated a, a show at the MIA, which is a really fantastic institution in, in Minnesota. You know, for those who don't, I was know. there for the Luther, the Luther exam. Where are you? Yeah. yeah, Carl, you should try to uh, swing through the show. It closes soon. It's is a it? Native okay. American show. Thank you for the recommendation. Right yeah, yeah, and and so this is Native American women's art, and some of the artists are are you know trained artists or or non-trained, but who specifically set out to make art, but but a lot of it was just the artistry of, of the, the traditions. The tradition and the clothing and the, mm. the things that are just so incredibly beautiful, yeah. but not necessarily recognized as like fine art. Right. But yet, I mean, just right. gorgeous. So I was going to say, you know, the other thing about is, you know, the vulnerability of artists, you know, or musicians, you know, sure. I mean, like Dan Israel was talking, you know, he was up performing you know and everyone's looking at them but but you know a lot of people don't put themselves in that position you know on a stage or or you know open for critique and Mm -hmm. and such i mean mean, it's easier not to do that you're you're a little nervous when when we come in and see your art after you've first made it you're always like oh it's not my best work or something like you always say that and i'm like god i love it yeah so well well that's true in writing too i mean i have a friend who's a creative writer and he had rejection letters all over his wall right right i mean it's well who wants to be rejected? Who wants to put your heart <laughs> no, and soul but, into but something? But after you've been it? rejected so many times, right. it, it kind of isn't a big deal. It's like, well, you know, it's just part of it. You yeah. know, sometimes it spurns you on, right? It's that other Could, part yeah. of your humanity. You're like, no, I, I'm pretty confident in myself. I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, Stevie well, Wonder, you can never be a musician, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, right, right. But, but yeah, that's all never what work. we do yeah. too, because you know, we're we're creating things. We created an app. We're creating mm-hmm. other things. You know, but. But, you know, that's a creation. That's a piece of art. So we're putting it out there. Is it, you know, do people like it? Can it work? You know, it's I true. mean, so so we're all basically up for scrutiny, you know, sure. it's like constantly. Yeah, mm-hmm. constantly. But but you can't also just accept 
and be kind to everybody and say this is good when it's not. Oh, right. You're, you know, so right. so rather than a rejection is critique. Yeah. And criti- critique may lead to rejection or the feeling of rejection, but it's not sometimes critique just needs to be looked at for what it is. Yeah. You you are on the path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh you're you're making your way. You got a little further to go. Yeah. You know, keep working at it rather than don't go down that path anymore. You know? So, Cara, how's that work for you? Like, you know, with, uh, how are you uh, critiquing your, you know, I yeah. mean, do you have students then that are like, I mean, you're, you're looking at them and they're like falling apart and you're like, oh boy. Oh, yeah, there are. And that's, that's why I've actually changed how I grade uh, when I, now that I've gone back to the classroom. I've started using a evaluation system called, um, um, of course, I can't remember. It'll come to me. Uh, it's all right. But nevertheless, yeah. here's the basic idea. Is that the way that people pass a class is that they have to complete so many projects. But they don't get graded on the projects. They get evaluated but not graded. In other words, if a student turns in a paper, I give them feedback. I tell them, this is what you have to meet to do it. Like a game. Mm-hmm. Like you don't. You don't somehow just lose the whole game. You get to try again at level one, level one, and then you get to level two. So I'm doing my classes to move in stages of levels. So that way, okay, you're past level one. Now go to level two. Give people feedback. Mm -hmm. And I said, you can fail as many times as you want. Rewrite as many times as you want. It isn't like, oh, you turn it in and you only get one evaluation on it. Yeah, right. It's like, here are the standards. You get to redo it over and over because that's how real life is. Mm -hmm. No, that sounds really nice, actually. And it Mm -hmm. it provides all this safety net. And a lot of other professors are going, yeah, but I don't want to have to reread and reread and (laughs) reread. That's what I was thinking. Well, but here's the funny thing. At least this is my theory. I found that very few students have had to turn stuff in because now that they have the security mm-hmm. that they can redo it and they are motivated not to redo mm-hmm. it because who wants to redo they yeah. actually write better stuff at the very beginning right. rather than well this is probably a b paper there you are prof yep sure there it is it's a b and they didn't put the full effort into it right. and the prof is disappointed because they only did a b paper and now it's like i want to get through this first level so i'm going to do the best i can sure. and then they do because they live up to whatever you... God, that's high do. achieving to go for Bs, though. I mean, I was... <laughs> <laughs> Jim and I, I, I well, assume, I, you, I, you I and I were pretty school, happy with so Cs. I just drew pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? what, what class are you teaching now, or will you be teaching? So this this fall, I'm teaching History of Christianity, uh-huh. and uh, I'm teaching a um, capstone political science class on power. And we're using uh, LBJ as a paradigmatic example of how people gain power and lose power. Are you going to read the Robert Caro books? Have you read? Yeah, those? that's that's the one. So we're using Master of that. the Senate. Yes. Yep. Okay. I've read. I've I've read. Weirdly, I've read the two before Master of the Senate, okay. and I'm in the middle of Master of the Senate right now. I rec- profs always require books they haven't read. So. Yeah. Um, but part of it is is that I want to. It's a capstone, so I want to treat it like a, more of a book club. And then we're using a book called Forty Eight Laws of Power, which is like mm-hmm. a Machiavellian mm-hmm. manifesto on mm-hmm. po- rules of power mm-hmm. about vanquishing your enemy and mm-hmm. on showing God. mercy. And then we're going to relate this a little also to the Christian tradition and what uh-huh. does that mean in light of loving one's neighbor or caring about an organization and how do these all fit together. So that's the second class I'll be teaching. And then the, the third class is a, what's called, we call life and leadership. And it's a freshman introductory course. And essentially it's an introduction to college, but we kind of, I always want in that class, lay down 
the fundamental, really gigantic questions of, of that are unanswerable. Because to me, I think that that's what people want to go to college for, is they want to be challenged with the big questions. And if they don't know that they want to be, they find that they are. And uh, Well, there are, there are times when I feel relatively intellectually capable, and I think uh, this is not one of them. I feel like you, <laughs> you're... Uh, you guys are awfully smart. You're reading books about Gemini's, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, holy crap, no, what I, are you even talking about? <laughs> I no, think it, you sell yourself too short. No, 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 I actually no, no. had the books that you a, mentioned at the beginning. I had just purchased that. Um, really? Yeah, when I went God, to Costa Rica. I put Rica, you in the same category actually. with me, too. Yeah. I was making but, a but joke, I, and it fell flat. I yeah. get it. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we are 35 minutes into this first half, so let's take a little break okay, and we'll come back. That's, I was trying to make a joke before the break. Yeah. <laughs> We got you. That's yeah. fine. It's still funny, Sam. Yeah. Well, you know, a failed joke. I can be the butt of my own joke. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel safe products directly to your door in an airport security safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. All right, all right, all right. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what isn't? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeling service, residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with a purpose. Visit KineticDesignBuild.com. To request a consolation. God, I just like that. That one. All right, that one is definitely not going to be mine. That could be oh, my favorite. I could Brought to you by the Andalin app. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin. Uh. Andalin now available on the App Store and Google Play. Visit Andalin.app for more information. Want to go on a wilderness adventure with Sam? Or maybe know a group of kids who could benefit from a break from their electronics? Maybe you just need a break from the kids. Visit earthed.org for more information about how to get started. Do you have an idea that you know deserves a digital solution? Finding a partner to help navigate the digital design and application building process can be daunting. Mobile Composer, in partnership with Kinetic Legacy, offers forward-thinking design built on a stable and adaptable compliance platform. Visit mcomposer.com or kineticlegacy.us to get started building the solutions of tomorrow. Enterprise or consumer together, Mobile Composer and Kinetic Legacy offer solutions that work in a language you can understand. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. Can you repeat that again, sure. Carl? Yeah, we are going to have you repeat that. Um, so we're back. A uh, little, little break. Everyone's back. We've got Carl Troval. Doctor. Uh, Dr. Carl Troval. Yes. Yeah, I, the first official doctor. Uh, Jill right? was. 
Ah, darn it. Yeah, Joe. But oh, a, you, but maybe some others. I'm really not failing. hurt by it. That's all right. That, <laughs> doctor, just if you have a PhD, it just means piled higher and deeper. It just means that it just means that you've worked hard to jump through a different. I think there a lot of people have the capability of getting a doctorate. It just takes time and money Whoa, and work. Easy, no. Carl. Easy. My brother's a doctor, and he's pretty proud of that. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of it, but. But he's I'm a, still convinced. He's humble. a medical doctor. He's a medical doctor. Now, that does take a very unique uh, set of uh, disciplines. <laughs> I'm just a PhD. All right. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, you were, you were saying something about uh, the benefit of a new college student uh, finding a professor that they care for. Yeah. They do, and if they if they're not in a, a track where they're locked into taking classes because they got to finish for a particular degree, to find a professor that they really love, even and less about the subject matter, because a lot of times a professor that you really really love will draw you into something you you didn't think you had an interest in, and they create a hunger for this new topic, and it it enlarges your world. I mean, I found this happen any number of times, and I decided as much as I could, I was going to take people not classes so sure because huh. i just think that the prof is really critical to education and that's well, the same you know in just day-to-day life if you can connect yourself with another like-minded person mm-hmm. then they can also inspire you and expand your worldview because i think it's um maybe an overarching theme that i think about a lot but society modern society especially we're discouraging people from having that kind of introspective um Curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I think that podcasts uh, like yours and others where people talk about issues, mm-hmm. I think this has really helped. I think people could get a college education just listening to podcasts mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I have listened to so many mm-hmm. where I've been so enriched. It's like sitting in a classroom. You don't, you don't have the dialogue. Disadvantages, you're just passively receiving. Uh, you're thinking, but uh, nevertheless, I, the amount of material that's out there in – verbal form audio form uh visual form you don't just have to read anymore and i liked what you said earlier how you don't have to technically be in school to be learning no you can do it it's just your day-to-day how do you choose your free time we talk about that too like being selective are you going to play candy crush for two hours or do you take the time to read a book or listen to a podcast something that's going to expand your horizons yeah or have a conversation with somebody right right exactly Well, i think that's the the we we talk about this feels to me like bringing back uh, kind of long form conversational radio or something yeah. when they used to just like these days I, I haven't been watching the debates uh, though I'm relatively political and mm-hmm. I care about mm-hmm. that stuff uh, but because I don't want to listen to a it's minute and a half no, no it's not, not substantive and nope. right and whereas you know. Obviously, reading, you can do that. Yeah. But, um, like, good documentaries, good, yes. really yes. thoughtful, you know, storytelling in a visual format is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right, podcasts, I mean, even, uh, you know, even listening to, like, Sean Carroll and, mm-hmm. and Joe Rogan, who is, you know, oddly intellectual for a guy who kind of passes himself off as a non-intellectual guy. Right. Um, but for him to sit and, and for me to learn something from Sean Carroll about about the universe and how things work is yeah. amazing. And for you to come in here and 
talk about whatever you're talking about it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the meaning of life the meaning of life you know? what, would you, would so you Carl, already, what is the meaning of yeah, life yeah he already said he wasn't going to give us those answers well, which like to deflate the balloon right off the bat culminating i know it's like there who knows i mean really it's a, that's part of why uh, all these traditions in philosophy um in the break, you mentioned existentialism. But, I mean, if you take it, Plato gave it a shot. Uh, and then Aristotle modified Plato. And it's this long conversation in the West. And if you go to the East, you can look at the at Taoism, right? And Hinduism and Buddhism who are asking the same questions in a philosophical sense as well. And there's so many uh, presuppositions and contexts. And then there's a shift. And then there's a doubt of one thing, but they want to retain another. And the whole conversation in the West has been the question, what's the meaning of life? And we keep throwing forth answers and trying to modify. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that every system you build, someone is left out of it. Mm. And so you always have to rethink the system. I mean, this is kind of- Well, I think I know, actually, so. Oh, you do? Oh. Yeah, no no one ever asks me, but yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, when I was around 23, 24 years old, I figured it out, so. Do you want okay. to hear? It's good, yeah. Yeah, is that, I mean, are you curious? Yeah, I, 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 I know. I'm not sure I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I can't blame you, Jim. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I again, just I'm remember one day. I was, <laughs> is it sex, drugs, or rock and roll? <laughs> no. No? No, I was living out in Las Vegas. Oh, boy. And, uh, and, and I, I don't know, I was reading a lot at the time, Uh and I was thinking a lot about life mm-hmm. and kind of... In Vegas. I was, yeah. It was, yeah. You know, I, I, was, I, I would it, drank I a lot, too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. I even gambled occasionally a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, I did a bunch of things. But that was kind of the point. I knew I was moving out. I worked at a boys' camp every summer. And I, I had done that for a while. And I left when boys' camp was over. You know, when Camp Chippewa ended, I left. And I knew I'd be back the next summer, so I gave myself a year to just sort of explore life in a, in a different way. But uh, in the midst of all of this reading and thinking about it, all of these things, I was uh, w- walking home one day, and I passed a mother and her daughter sitting on a bus stop, and I figured out the meaning of life in that moment. And it's, it's love. And that's I, it. I think that that's a pretty powerful one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there was just something in the way that that mother was tending to her daughter that, I mean, it still, it still makes me feel yeah. like you just, the love that she wrapped that daughter with, that she was on display right in front of me, mm-hmm. like, well, that's it. That's life. That's mm-hmm. all I need to know. Yeah. So yep. I'm going to cry. No, that's well. That's, that's I think there's a reason why the Christian tradition talks about if you had to define God as anything, it's love, right? Right. There's, right. Uh, so yep. let's just the summation. And I heard, your... if you don't mind me, uh, I, I'm on a on a um, TV show called the American Religious Town Hall Meeting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, mm-hmm. Seventh Day Adventists have put it together since the '40s, and we have people from different um, different Christian and religious traditions speak to contemporary issues of the day. And I heard something from uh, our rabbi on that show, Dan Levin, that blew me away. I'd never heard this. He talked about that at the creation of the world, because God, in Jewish mysticism, because God is light, the question is, where did the darkness come from? Because everything would be light. 
And that what God had to do in order to make space to create the world, to create community, is God had to back off. And the light either, he said there's two traditions. One, that God became a pinpoint of light at the center. Condensed. In other words, God took God's self and withdrew completely to a pinpoint. Or that God went to the way to the edges of reality to, to, so that there could be a space of darkness to begin to create things. Hmm. And, and that this idea of self-sacrifice and sacrificing for the other to give them space to be their full selves that this this kind of fundamental jewish mystical concept has this a, a self-emptying god in it which is hmm. i mean honestly there's a lot of tradition buddhism has it christianity has it in the incarnation with christ all of this this idea of self-sacrifice self-sacrificial love in particular yeah unconditional love unconditional love mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting um mm-hmm. because of like so my subject matter is just light okay. basically you know that's and uh but i pull a lot of things from renaissance paintings or rococo um mm-hmm. where the idea of uh light in those paintings are the connection between heaven and earth okay you know that's the ladder um yeah, yeah. and it's depicted as light you know god's light is shining down and yeah. illuminating you know but that's also the ladder that's the sort of the the meaning in those old paintings which i love you know the old rembrandt ones yeah even, yeah you know and Jim, so that's an interesting so that's a really interesting uh, I, there's a there's another i'm trying to think of yeah. the the painter uh who uses a lot of light also and it's usually a lot of darkness and then bright light uh b uh, starts with a b bro book yeah I'm well i don't good. know I, I failed art history so yeah. Yeah. you're pretty good you're pretty good jim for a for an art history failure <laughs> But, you know, at the, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, I mean, that's Rothko's paintings yeah. were all about light, too. Yeah. Um, so it's it, that that uh, analogy that you just said is kind of interesting. And, and so when we were on the break, we were also talking about um, sort of a collective becoming a singular, mm-hmm. meaning uh, when we're in church, which I I do like to go to church. I mm-hmm. don't go very often, mm-hmm. but when I do, it, it, you know, I love, I love a good built church. You know, mm-hmm. the structure of it, mm-hmm. the architecture of it, I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. And and when singing happens in that, you know, and you perform with it, you know, you're also singing. That that sort of synchronicity is is really a wonderful thing. And uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, when everyone is kind of in harmony. It is. It is. Yeah. Like the ball game, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Well, right, kind of, seventh inning. Right, oh, right. Yeah. And that, totally. that happens too. Yeah, but, but except for it's a little, little bit different. But you, you know, get no it is in, yeah. when, like, like when you're singing, when an entire stadium full of people is singing the same song or yeah. something, like it, it gives you a little chill. It does oh, give yeah. you a chill. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That's a shoot. I always mean to bring this book. It's called The Originals. And it's about, they have, there's a footnote, and it says people that experience those goosebumps when looking at art or music or some type of creative thing, like that's the true measure of someone's creativity. Because huh. the true artists will get those goosebumps. I, you, you're really, I'm not an artist, and I but get you those are. goosebumps. No, but that's what I, not traditional artists, but in, you, your artistry, exactly. Too. So that's, really that's nice. what it is. Yeah. 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 I know when I was working at camp, uh, one of the one of the things I miss the most, and one of the things I loved the most, were there were two things. We had uh, we had one night where we would do 
rock band. I forget what we called it, but you know, like you, all like right. it's all karaoke or whatever. Right, so right. you go up and and it was it was real controversial for us to bring that in because the camp had traditionally not uh, used electronics. So we brought in a, a an amplifier and microphones and a karaoke machine so we could play music that everyone would sing along with. But uh, so the old guard kind of didn't like it. But man, those kids, when, when everybody, when all 100 people are singing along to the same song in the dining hall, like those nights just sit with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one would be, so this was a completely idyllic place with, with big pine trees and, you know, just, just the most beautiful place ever. Yeah. And when I would be uh, needing to do something administrative and a small group of counselors would take all of the kids and they'd, they'd involve them in a single activity. They would be up on, the, they almost always started on the deck of the dining hall and there was something about the way the dining hall, uh, the deck was in front of the dining hall so it would, it would make the sound echo off oh, of it cool. into the forest, yeah. back to where I would be working. And to just hear, to just hear like these these roars of laughter as some counselor's doing something really funny and explaining everything to the kids and they're all laughing and then the roar would come and then it would dissipate and then you'd be quiet for a little bit and then the roar of laughter again like it's just, joy and harmony right things yeah. being in harmony yeah, yeah. those were That's just like really the happiest special, moments uh, for me yeah and i can think of things um last halloween just staying home at maggie and ron's and answering the door for little kids and giving oh, them candy. And fun. then I was watching some horror movie and I don't know why that night really stuck in me. I'm like, it's just so simple handing out the candy, but seeing the kids that they're exciting and you're doing something just right. kind of by myself that I enjoy. And it's those little things. If you can find kind of meaning and purpose in that, you can transform your life from there. Yeah. And that's every day. It is it's every, every day. moment. It is every day. Yeah. It's every conversation. It's, yeah. Mm. Well, I lived in, uh, lived in Germany for just a while and and like every other week is a festival of some sort everybody in town gets together in one central location and they uh-huh. hang out and they sing and they dance and they eat sausages and <laughs> drink beer well why do you think we all love going to the bar and yeah. just um having a drink or two and yeah chatting and meeting new people well, my, my dad always said about people at communion at the, our lutheran church back in clear lake he said he said between the bar and the church, he says, it's all the same people, just a different bartender. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> yeah. it's about community, it's right? I mean, yeah. you, you, you live together, you die together, sure. you drink together, you eat together, you worship together. And I, I get it in a larger city, it's harder to find that community. It has to be more deliberate. But I think this is one of the things that small communities had. Do well. Just yeah. had to, because mm-hmm. you, you die if you don't get together. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I still we're we're big advocates of our rural communities here in Minnesota. I think you know it's important for us to remember how uh, there's there's some part of the division of the country right now that seems sort of urban versus rural to me, and I hate that. I do too, because uh, neither is going to win, right? And they don't need to. They're 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 each other's brothers, right? Mm -hmm. And this is uh, you know you go to most any small community. And look at what's actually going on there, and they're, you know, really living a wonderful life. Yeah. And 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 
same thing in the cities. You go into the neighborhoods that they have great night out. We had our national night out the other day, yeah. and people oh, have cool. these great little Those community awesome. festivals. And yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of good things going on. So, I mean, I feel like uh, if you watch the old, uh, what's the what's the monkey and the man in the yellow hat? George. Oh, curious George. Curious George. Curious George. The that came up in an era where there was like the city side and the countryside. I don't, uh-huh. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, yeah, and they I were always, do, yeah. There was like uh, there was some kid that he always went out to the country and played with. And my kids have watched that show or read the books, you know, over and over. And uh, I'm always it. It makes me feel like man, I wish we could represent to people that city and country are connected Mm -hmm. well it's it's funny because and this is a idea that comes from gk chesterton but he said that ironically smaller communities tend to be larger and enlarging than large communities and and here is his point that when we get into cities or giant big churches or big gatherings what we do is we find people who are like us Mm -hmm because we don't know who to connect with, so we connect with people who are most like us, or have similar viewpoints. I mean, it could be political viewpoints. When you live in a small town and you have to talk to Jim uh, or Jose, right, who's, who, who are right next to you, and they have a different political viewpoint, you live in the same small town, your neighbors, you can't mm-hmm. escape mm-hmm. one another. You're forced to stretch yourself to think and be more empathetic because you can't just separate into your hmm. like-minded groups. Right. Um, you, when I went to church, you always met babies and you met the elderly. Well, a lot of churches you go to, they're just a lot at the same age, right? Um, mm. And so the weird thing is that smaller communities force you to be mm. so much more expansive because mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. have to live together. Interesting. Well, and, and we, we uh, disparage on occasion the uh, online world. Yeah. Right? And, and that bubble puts us into an even smaller, smaller area bubble, yeah. bubble, yeah, bubble you know like mm-hmm. that's so easy online to just well and plus the algorithms yeah. that yeah i was gonna the big say companies that. are putting out they drive you, know, you into them. yeah, yeah they're, they're they like sure oh do. look at this let's get them all together yeah, yeah. you know that yeah. yeah it's uh it's too bad but so what do you do for fun what's <laughs> what do I do? my wife and i um since since our kids left and we always like being outside. Uh, and a lot of times we go hiking, but you know, just hiking for hiking's sake. I mean, that's people who love it. That's great. But we we found uh, a kind of purpose in uh, by starting to bird. We've always been interested in nature and the natural world and kind of classifying and organizing it. But uh, we every moment we get, we love to get out into nature and go uh, find what birds we can find and see oh. if we can find any new ones. We just got back from a trip from Brazil. We went to the Amazon. Ooh. Oh, uh, that's birds there. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, we got back. We saw uh, 480 species of birds. Wow. On that one trip, two weeks. That's crazy. And I mean, you talk about, uh, you talk about standing in awe of the diversity. Oh, right. I could not believe it. It's just astounding. Did you see anything like really scary? Um, there, well, yes, <laughs> like but you're so far away. You. No, we, we also saw jaguars <laughs> and oh. we saw, we saw tapir and we saw, what's um, a tapir? Ja- uh, tapir is like a, it's related to the horse, but it's got a long snout. Uh-huh. It's not really very threatening. Oh, I think uh-huh. I can. But they, they, um, they look like kind of a bear, but they kind of have like a horse-like face. But then they're—they almost look like an anteater in their oh, nose. Like it's really yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're the I coolest can, I animals. Think I can envision oh. this. I yeah. think I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and uh, we saw some giant otters, mm-hmm. right? And we saw a 25-foot anaconda. Oh. So, yeah, there's some... That would and be A lot scary. of chimen, a lot of, you know, which are little little alligators. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> little, you know, various like sizes. Like a few feet. But we saw... Uh, I mean, it was that must a trip of a lifetime. Like a, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Have you read, you know... Teddy Roosevelt did all of his expeditions down there. And so I read one of the books, one of the famous ones. Um, I forget the name of the author. T- uh, Camille? No. Mm. Is it ah. a biography of him? It's a woman who did a, a an account of his trip down the Rio Roosevelt. It ended up being named him. It's called The River of Doubt. I have that. Yes. That is like yes. one of the best yes. books I've read. I could uh-huh. not put it down. No. And I, I'm sitting there going... You, yes. she's, you, it's just as she describes. It's nuts. So, God, what, you guys make me want to read. Well, this one is really, <laughs> and I have to admit that I didn't finish it. It's on my phone somewhere. But what they had to go through, and this was only, you know, 100-something years ago. But I'm like, man, you're putting yourself in harm's way. I mean, it was No one had ever been down that river, right, ever. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And they're just willing. And he was president it. of the United States. This is the other thing. Is like, he's not sitting up in this soft bunker, right, in uh, up up in the United States. He's... <laughs> He's this adventurer who loves to go out. Brinder killed him and his son. Right. So, and they think that maybe he probably did in the end. At least he got knocked his health back. knocked his health back enough to. Yeah, that's some serious. Kind of undo him. Yeah. Serious stuff. River of doubt. River yes. of doubt. Yeah. Yep. It yeah. sounds like a must read. It is a must read. I, I would. Well, I want to go back because I I I really like the way people frame. I like listening to the way people frame certain parts of conversations. And at the very front edge of what you said there, uh, you talked briefly about your children. Do you remember what you said? Uh, after the children left? Yeah. That? There's, a, there's, a, there, I, there's a touch of like, those little bastards left me in it. Like, like you miss them. Oh, I definitely miss them. Yeah, and, yeah. and there was just yeah. this. I mean, I, I can't this, stand it when they're, it, oh, okay, this is public, I know. But, <laughs> but, but do you learn that because they're adults and have their own way of living, that you really can't live for a long, long time in their proximity anymore, just like mm. they can't live in your proximity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yet the deep affection and love goes mm-hmm. so deep that you want to mm-hmm. be with them all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I caught so there's a that paradox. On, on the way you said it. <laughs> I caught this sort of like, I'm a little bit jaded that they're not with me anymore. Yeah. They left, you yeah. know, versus yeah. when my children moved or, yeah. or did right. something else. Like, there's just something in the way you said it. Yeah. yeah. Funny. Yeah. Well, so you, you must enjoy a close relationship with your children. I do, yeah. And uh, we're so proud of them. Our son is out in Long Beach. He works for Gulfstream Aircraft as an engineer, mm. a mechanical engineer. And our daughter's an NPR reporter in Houston. She does uh, oh, immigration reporting. Oh, I have listened report. to her, yes. Yeah, yeah, she's gotten a lot of good stories. Yeah, yeah lots of good they? stories. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it was she lived in Santiago, Chile for four years. And uh, it was uh, hard for her to have her so far away mm. but it was so uh, formative for her and right. i mean really she understands the culture language so much because she did that and oh. we're very proud of her yeah yeah you can tell and i can <laughs> tell you miss her that's funny well you know it's really interesting because i i'll tell you interest i think it's a funny story uh and thank you all for bearing hearing me out yeah um we were sitting around having a beer with our son, my wife and I, and our son outside down Texas, and he was about ready to go off to to Europe to study for a semester. 
And uh, Elizabeth was in Chile, and my wife said something about, you know, you all have to go so far away. Why do you do that? I mean, you know, it's kind of hard on a parent. Uh, and she uh, she wasn't complaining that they were gone or no, leaving, that's a but, classic thing. But that, you know, it just it's, and I get it because they're so far away, and it's like, oh man. And then Carl James, he says, you know, he said he sets his beer down. He says, I'm only going to say this one time. <laughs> he said. You raised us. Mm-hmm. You you taught us to learn other languages, mm-hmm. to respect other cultures. You dragged us halfway across the world on your trips mm-hmm. and told us to appreciate everything that we encounter. And it's like he said, you could have raised us differently, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But you made this choice, mm-hmm. and he said, this is the result. Wow. Uh, and, and then it's kind of like I'm proud. That's how oh, I yeah. wanted to raise my yep. kids. That's how we wanted to raise our kids. Absolutely. And uh, he could have shortened that. Um, there's a commercial from the 1980s where uh, where the dad walks in on the kid and he's doing drugs and he says, "Where'd you learn this?" Oh. And the kid turns up and says, "I learned it from you, Dad." Oh God, that was <laughs> like, awful. God, I remember that. that but that's basically the like the intellectual version of that <laughs> right. statement. Like, I wouldn't leave and go somewhere else if it weren't for you having taught me this, Father. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I just. <laughs> that's... You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> well, and I mean, honestly, you also, you don't have control over your kids. I mean, they can make choices. Not if you, you raise so. them, right? I don't. Well. I mean, <laughs> we all. You don't want that control. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that I think some parents have guilt. They really did a good job raising their kids. And their kids have just made some not great decisions for themselves. And uh, Sure. Uh, parents need to forgive themselves because all of us kind of walk into parenting blind. You have all this. Help, I worry there's about no that right or wrong. Sometimes with my own children. Well, yeah, yeah, depending. You know, on, I mean, yeah, I think there is. They're but, better and worse. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just. No, I I know that I have three of my own children, and I know that there is some part of it that's just a complete crapshoot. I yeah. I am absolutely doing my level best to be what I can be for them, and I feel yeah. like you know. Having worked with kids for a long time, I feel like I came preloaded with some pretty good skills, and I think my kids are doing great. And I still know that they're going to go through some struggles. Yep, perhaps. It's yep. Part you know. of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It is part of it. Yep. And I just I, I look at all kids. I always think this. I look at all kids, and I just wish like don't make the struggle too hard though. Like just <laughs> just stay within certain bounds. You right. know. Mm-hmm. Don't hurt yourself. Well, I mean, some of that is, right? Because, I mean, the choice to use heroin the first time and the choice to stay oh. out later than you should or to get drunk one night. But then it depends on what, the drive home because that could totally transform things, too. So Ye- it's... All of it. Yeah. All of Ye- it. It's... it's We... There, but for the grace of God, go any of us. So. That's right. That's right. Well, um, we're we're nearing completion here, but I do have some... So you, you have a personal connection to our families. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say that uh, there's a couple of things I need to kind of get out there. First of all, uh, I was up at your family cabin, and I believe I may have caught your rod. Really? I yeah. think uh, Darren, <laughs> my brother, mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was a... Yeah, yeah you talk about parent, parent-son parent relations. That was right. pretty tough. I don't understand. Well, so I was My dad fishing. was really pissed off when I lost that rod out of oh. Yeah, yeah. So, so our audience so doesn't know. So, but it's I, in the lake. I was up fishing with Darren, your brother, yeah. uh, and and I caught onto something, and it, there was some line, and I pulled it up, and it was a, you know, was it, it wasn't your rod. It was a rod that had been in the lake for maybe five or ten years, whereas yours has now been down there for how long? And what, what exactly transpired the day you lost this rod? 
Well, strangely, I always found to be fishing in a boat to be quite boring. Now, fly fishing might have been a different story, right? With the creative making the flies and going out so and being So, you fly at... fishing? No, I don't. But it's oh. one of those things like if, if there's something on my bucket list before I die, I want to go fly fishing. Mm. Okay. okay. So, that may have caught you, whereas, whereas yeah, just, just sitting, sitting in, in a boat, boat waiting for the fish to bite. And then you can't talk. I'm a talker. And, you know, it's like, shh, be quiet. Shh. Right, quit Who's banging on the bottom of the boat. So you can scare the so fish away. School. I know, well, I'm old. <laughs> uh, no, so. but I mean, you're dad. But like, we, I talk <laughs> but, all the time. So I mean, he had bought a new rod for me, and and I was out there and I cast and I I went really hard. I mean, it was just the, what happened that day, and it hit <laughs> the rod, hit the side of the boat, went out of my hand, plunk, there it went, and. It was a brand new rod. I think it was the first time we were out with it. So yeah. Dad went out. I mean, he was unhappy, and then he went out and tried. He trolled for that thing for I don't know, all afternoon. So, so anyway. it's still out there. And it was kind of like, okay, I'm not fishing anymore. I I didn't want so to be out there. So he was trying to catch it. the rod, trying to find it again, yeah. trolling back yeah. and forth. Yeah. So so Sam, you found the rod, uh, right? So. Well, or the ghost of the rod. Your brother. Right? Great. You're a little late. My dad passed away last year, so Could have found it we a can't reconcile. So did, when you were reeling it up. I mean, and a rod came up. This is by no means the first rod I've caught. Mm. And, and I, so I, you know, in working at camp, I took kids fishing. And one of my, one of my most notorious kids, David Siegel, if you're out there, David, I haven't seen you in 20 years. I, I'd love to reconnect. But anyway, David Siegel was a bit of a pain in my ass, if I'm being fair about it. Mm-hmm. And he knew that, but... Um, nice enough kid, but anyway, he he received a brand spanking new rod uh, from his father before we came up to camp, and he was always jumping the gun on everything. But I I took him out fishing. I got the rod spooled up. I got it ready to go. I take him out fishing, and the first cast he I hadn't even stopped the motor, and I was about to yell at him, "Not yet, David. Just wait." You know, like I, we weren't ready, but he had to do it, and he went. You know, went back to cast, and he oh. threw it, and the rod just kept going. <laughs> like Yikes. the first cast, he threw that rod right wow. in the lake, and I tried to catch it, but I did not. I was okay, not able to okay. get it back for did him. Did he feel? What did he do then? He sat quietly in the boat and right. lamented the loss of his rod. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it was that same trip. God, I the story time from Sam. People don't sign up for this, but that uh, well, <laughs> Sarah's like no you're right they don't they want to hear the guest right no that same trip uh, I, he cast his daredevil up onto the rocks despite uh-huh. me asking him not to and uh, while I wasn't looking I went I turned to start the motor and I wasn't looking and he yanked it and the the spoon came back and oh. hit me right in the corner of the eye. I knew this was coming. Yeah, right in the corner of the eye, and it hurt so bad. I thought I'd lost my eye, and I so I sat rocking my <laughs> my hands on my face, bloodied for, hands, for about five minutes. I I didn't know, and I and there's three 12 year olds in the boat. David's one of them, dead silent for a few minutes, and uh, I finally took my hands away from from my face and. And I looked down, and there was—I mean, I was covered in blood, all, oh. dripping off my elbows, all over my pants, and the kids' faces were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and uh, and I looked at them, and I said, "Well, reel them up." <laughs> we're out of here. And I started the motor and didn't say a word, and went back to the cabin, and it only ended up being a, a, a just a fairly cut. Cut, mm. big cut on my eyebrow, oh. but you know, you just bleed yeah. profusely from there. So I right. didn't lose my eye; everything was fine. Mm. I did not kill David Siegel, though. You know, certain days he deserved it, but would have deserved it, but <laughs> I remained awesome. calm. 
So anyway, uh, Carl, now that I've wasted your time with us, uh, I should have let you talk, but <laughs> no, I didn't. Not at all. It happens. Sarah's laughing. <laughs> it, well, because it does happen. It does happen. <laughs> well, you don't start a podcast because you don't like to talk, right, I right. guess. Okay. Well. Uh, is there anything that you would like to get out into the world uh, before we wrap this up? Honestly, I don't think there that there. I mean, I suppose I'm supposed to be uh, self-promoting now, but I don't have that sense other than sure. Um, well, you've, you're stable in your. You've got a job and everything's good. Yeah, you're not necessarily. I, I, do you write? Do you do you like do you? I, I had that conversation with my wife this morning. Um, you know, here's this funny thing: is that I love creating things, and I love speaking, and uh, I'm I'm a, I think I have a fairly good good talent at public speaking, but. The writing piece is just torturous for me, and I really don't, really Publish don't like to do it. I mean, I do write because I have to, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, and I can write well, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't enjoy it. And uh, my, who's now my dean, he said, he said, what idea do you have to to further what's going on at Concordia? And I said, you know what I'd love to do? I said, what I really want to do is I want to have a podcast, mm-hmm. and I want to interview every professor, and I want now to have a talking. list. Of, I want to have a list of fifteen questions, and that way all the parents and all the students can listen Great. to this professor, and they can go, I know, I want to go to this school because of that professor. Great. And and was there. that mm. warmly received? Or very warmly. In fact, my dean said, you got to do four of them by the end of the semester. And you've got the recording equipment and the, the, the school has the recording yeah, equipment. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really fantastic. nice way to do that. Yep. Actually, yeah. that's a good way to... So recruit. I'm looking forward to putting yeah. that together. Yeah, that'll be nice. Oh, yeah. you'll do great at that. You, you have, you're you made natural. for this. Yeah. 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 This I mean, I, I do have a writing project I'm in the middle of, and that is... Um, I'm trying to write a book for freshmen uh, that would introduce them to the great ideas in the Western tradition, but more moral ideas like gratitude, some of the things we've talked about today, mm-hmm. wisdom, spirituality, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, uh, ongoing learning and education through life, those kinds of things. But to do it, I want to have an art piece in there, mm-hmm. I want to have an illustration, and I want to have like some really good discussion questions so that oh. the profs who teach the freshmen can have really rich discussions. That's my other goal. Do you need a proofreader for that? Yeah, well, do you need oh. a, do you need a <laughs> periodical to put it in? Acres and Acres is ready. We'll, we'll get it for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Carl, uh, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you very much for coming Thank in. you Thanks for, for the coming opportunity. Thanks for coming in, Carl. Yes. Yeah, nice. And uh, Concordia, go ahead and uh, in Austin. use yeah. this. If you know if if you want to put this out there because of who you are and what you do, I mean, this was sure. a really fantastic conversation. Well, I, so if any of you here in Minnesota, there are always a couple of Minnesotans who come down to uh, to Austin, and if you're interested in a tremendous music scene, some mm-hmm. wonderful, outstanding weather, and a campus that's like being on a retreat center, but we're at, we actually Concordia has a nature preserve. Um, that we're on two universities that are managed a nature preserve where we have some endangered species on. If any of you are interested in getting out of the Minnesota cold and having some tremendous winters, um, think about coming down to Concordia and um, just send me an email, uh, carl.troval at concordia.edu, and I'd be happy to answer your questions and give you a tour. Great. That sounds That's great. Awesome. You'll see the three of us. Um. This <laughs> <laughs> I have some experience with the... Uh, 
Concordia language villages because my camp was just down the road. And okay, that is, now it, that's a different Concordia. Is it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, so I, I would the, not have assumed the that. The Concordias that we are part of, Concordia St. Paul, is part of the uh, affiliated with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and okay. the, uh, the ELCA Concordia is up in Moorhead, and they have the same name, but they're two different. I uh, did not know that. I yeah, always assumed they were all part nope. of the same organization. Well, now someone's learned something too. Well, and yeah, we, we don't deal in facts here, but we just did. I, this I is think the first this time, is a first time we may fact. actually have had a yeah. fact yeah. <laughs> represented yeah. accurately. Like on this the show. is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, they, those those language villages are awesome. It's though. fantastic, fantastic system. Yep. All right. Well, on that note, Carl, thank you. Thank, thank you, thanks, Carl. Carl. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andolin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andolin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care. Mm-hmm.